Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. Good morning, everyone. All right, we are going to um, continue in our series on uh, faces of faith. And just um, as a review, as we've been sort of journeying through that, we, have, um, we got to take a look at Abraham's surrendering faith and uh, Hannah's uh, persevering faith and Jacob's forgiving faith, Stephen's humble faith, Barnabas's generous faith, all of these incredible people from the scriptures who we saw are flawed human beings like you and I, but who had been operating or were able to operate with a level of, of faith in God and trust in God in that they were able to experience God's power and his presence in some amazing ways. But the question I want us to sit with this morning is what if we find ourselves lacking faith? What if we find ourselves struggling to, to have the faith that we need to experience God's power and presence in our lives? If faith is the key to experiencing God moving in our lives, what if we find that somehow we've misplaced it? You ever lost your keys? That's <laughs> right. Your search around for what? What if that's the position that we find ourselves when it comes to faith? On this Father's Day, I think it's fitting that we are going to learn from a father this morning. A father who finds himself in a desperate place, who's heartbroken and is struggling to find his faith. And we'll get to see what happens when this father encounters Jesus. We're going to look at a passage um, out of the Gospel of Mark. It's Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. So um, it's a little bit um, of a lengthy story, but I'll read it, and it'll be up on the screen if you want to follow along. So it starts this way. When Jesus, Peter, James, and John approached the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them and legal experts arguing with them. And suddenly the whole crowd caught sight of Jesus. They ran to greet him, overcome with excitement, and Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about? Someone from the crowd responded, teacher, I brought my son to you since he has a spirit that doesn't allow him to speak. Wherever it overpowers him, it throws him into a fit. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and stiffens up. So I spoke to your disciples to see if they could throw it out, but they couldn't. Jesus answered them, you faithless generation, how long will I be with you? How long will I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought him. And when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a fit. He fell on the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been going on? He said, since he was a child, it has often thrown him into a fire or into water trying to kill him. If you can do anything, help us. Show us compassion. And Jesus said to him, if you can do anything, all things are possible for the one who has faith. At that, the boy's father cried out, I have faith. Help my lack of faith. Noticing that the crowd had surged together, Jesus spoke harshly to the unclean spirit. Mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. After screaming and shaking the boy horribly, the spirit came out, and the boy seemed to be dead. In fact, several people said that he had died, but Jesus took his hand, lifted him up, and he arose. 
After Jesus went into a house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we throw this spirit out? Jesus answered, throwing this kind of spirit out requires prayer. There are so many things we could explore uh, in this passage. Uh, In my ministry to college students, we will study the Gospel of Mark pretty in-depth. And inevitably, whenever we get to this section, um, we always start by, what do you notice? And kind of writing down your observations. And then, what are your questions from this passage? And every single time, there's always like two or three times more questions than there are observations. It's a passage that is full of all kinds of things going on. And so many things we could explore. We could talk about the reality of unclean spirits and how they operate and the role of deliverance ministry that we see in this passage. We could explore what's going on for the disciples that they were unable to cast out the unclean spirit. We could look at Jesus's frustration with the dynamics that are present in the argument taking place and his, oh, this faithless generation that he declares. But for the sake of of time and focus, and where I really felt um, the Lord leading me um, as I prepared this week, is we are going to focus on the Father and Jesus' very intentional interaction with him. And the reason we're going to do that is because I think the Father's story is our story. Now, at first glance, that doesn't appear to be the case. It's kind of a crazy story. It starts with Jesus, Peter, James, and John, who have actually been apart from the rest of the disciples. They've been up on the mountain, and it's the passage of Jesus' transfiguration, which is a sermon for another day. But they've been away, and now they've come back to rejoin the rest of the disciples. And what they find is this big crowd is gathered. Jesus' disciples are arguing with the faction of, of legal experts who have been trying to find fault with Jesus and his disciples at every turn. So this argument has taken place. It's sort of like... Um, for, our, for the parents here, um, that, that experience you have when you leave your kids when they're little for just a couple minutes, you know, and you walk out of the room, and when you come back, like, you know, all kind of chaos is broken loose, and they're fighting, and you're like, what happened? Okay, that's, ex- that's exactly what's going on here, okay? Jesus steps back into the situation. He's like, what's going on? I wasn't gone for that long. And so this man steps forward. And explains what's been going on and how he had brought his son, who was afflicted by an unclean spirit, to to Jesus. He had wanted to bring him to Jesus to see if he could be healed. But what he found was Jesus wasn't there, but his disciples were there. And that would have been a normal thing to say, well, you're you're an apprentice to Jesus, so can you do this as well? And the disciples, they had already had experiences of Jesus sending them out to proclaim the gospel, to heal, and to cast out unclean spirits. And they had experienced that. And so I can imagine disciples going, oh yeah, we know how to do this. Bring them up, right? But it doesn't work. They thought they could take care of it, but they couldn't do it. And, and those opposing Jesus, who kind of like to hang around the edges and look for any misstep and sort of jump on it, right? All of a sudden they're like, see, we told you this guy's a fraud, right? And they're having some kind of debate or argument. But... At the heart of this story, this isn't about religious controversy or who has the power to do what and what's permissible by the law. This is about a desperate father who has a suffering child. Listen to how he describes the situation. He says he has a spirit that doesn't allow him to speak. And 
Whenever the Spirit sort of manifests, wherever it overpowers him, it throws him into a fit, and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and stiffens up. And this has been going on for years, and it's even been a threat to his life. Parents, we understand that there's a unique kind of pain that we go through when our children suffer. Put yourself in the shoes of that father for just a moment. Now, we don't know from the text if the father had tried other avenues for healing, but I can only imagine that that's likely. When you are a parent and your child is suffering, you will go to the ends of the earth to try to get them what they need to have them healed and be restored. And I just imagine, what was that like for the father going to, I don't know, healer after healer or to the religious leaders and saying, can you help? And no one can help. And the situation continues and his child continues to suffer. Can you imagine the disappointment that he must have felt time and time again? And then maybe this last time, there's this Jesus that he heard about and people are being healed. And so he says, maybe this time will finally be healed. My son will be set free. And he brings them to Jesus, and Jesus isn't there, but the disciples are there and says, can you heal him? They say, yeah, we can, and then they can't. Can you imagine the disappointment that must have just come upon that father in that moment? Just the deep heart wound that he is carrying of the pain of watching his kids suffer and the disappointment over and over again of not seeing him healed. See, I think there are, we all have our wounds and our scars that just come from life in this world, but I think there are a certain kind of wound, sort of those deep heart wounds that really leave a mark in our souls. I think there are lots of different versions of this. It can be a a hope or a dream that you've sought after that doesn't work out and the disappointment that comes from that. It can be the pain of of, a parent falling short um, in your life and the disappointment that comes from that. It could be a marriage that crumbles, an unexpected death. So many different experiences we can have where uh, disappointment and heartbreak, betrayal or loss come into our lives and they leave a mark. And when that happens, I think that can affect our relationship with God. I remember when my daughter uh, was about five or six years old, she got a splinter in her hand. Painful splinter. And, you know, five and six years old, right? Just, she was a wreck, right? Just like, ah, right? And so I was like, well, come on, let me take care of it. I I can help. I can get this out. And she would have none of it, right? She was in pain, but she, and she was scared, and she was afraid that if she let me come close, I would make it hurt more, right? And so she wouldn't come near. She was just, she was just beside herself. She wouldn't let me come near. She's just beside herself, like, no, stay away, right? Even though she was suffering and in pain. But that's how it is with us sometimes, too, isn't it? We can have that splinter of disappointment or heartbreak or pain in our hearts 
And even though God might be wanting to draw near to deal with that, we can just, we can just say, no, stay away. Someone that I'm very close with who um, has experienced this kind of, of, of pain and heartbreak shared with this with me recently. He said that what happened that brought about the pain was so painful that I've shut that part of my heart off from God. Because I don't know how he could have allowed this to happen. And so I don't know if I can trust him with it. Such an honest statement. And I imagine that's some of what this father was feeling. Questions about how could God have allowed this to happen to my son to begin with. And, um, and now it's just been disappointment after disappointment. Can I continue to have faith in God? It's so much easier to have faith and trust in God's goodness when everything is right in your world, isn't it? Oh, yeah, God is good. And we have faith in him. But when we encounter those deep wounds in our lives, it can often shake our confidence in God. And I think this is evident in the Father's interaction with Jesus. When he says to Jesus, If you can do anything, help us. Well, that's exactly what Jesus intends to do. I think there's two things that Jesus focuses on in this statement. If you can do anything, help us. Um, The first is he focuses in, in on the if. Okay. He says, if you can do anything. That if says a whole lot. It says, I'm not totally sure, Jesus, that you have the power to heal my son. I'm not totally sure that I can trust you with this difficult and painful situation. I'm not totally sure that you want to do anything, that you um, want to heal him, if you can do anything. Well, Jesus zeroes in on that, and he says, if you can do anything, all things are possible for the one who has faith. See, Jesus doesn't get hooked out on the, on the if. He turns it around on him, and he says, the issue here is not whether Jesus has enough power to cast out the Spirit or wants to do that. The issue is, does the Father have faith that Jesus can do that? Now, I have to be careful here, because sometimes this verse and other similar verses, I think, have been taken out of context and have been mishandled and have... Uh, there's been teachings in the church that said, you know what, if, if, if you haven't been healed or you haven't seen God answer a prayer, it's because you don't have enough faith. As if somehow the amount or measure of our faith is the thing that compels God to do what we want him to do. But we're on really dicey theological ground there when we approach it that way. Okay. Earlier in Mark, Mark talks about faith a lot. And earlier in Mark, there is a passage where Jesus is at his hometown, where people know him, but he is unable to do any miracles there because of the lack of faith. Right? People think they know Jesus. Oh, that's Jesus. He grew up here. Like, he's nothing special. And so they don't have faith in him. And so it limits what Jesus is able to do. And then later in Mark, Jesus says, if you have faith even just the size of a mustard seed, 
just the, the smallest kind of thing they could sort of see with the naked eye. That's all it takes for God to move mountains. So it's clear that it's not the amount of faith that you have. You just need a little bit. So how does faith work here? See, I think faith is like that key that opens the door and lets you step into the room of God's movement in your life. It's what enables us to be open to what God is going to do. And I love the Father's response. See, he, he says he has faith, but he also lacks it, right? So much of the pain and disappointment about um, his son has sort of squelched kind of faith in his life. So he has a little bit, but he recognizes that he, he has enough to sort of ask for more. So he cries out, I have faith, but help my lack of faith. See, I think the Father's faith is like our faith. We all have faith in Jesus, right? We, we're here in church on a Sunday morning to worship Jesus. We, we know him. We, we're following him. We have faith in him. But I think if we look carefully at our lives, we might recognize that there are places or areas in our life where we struggle to have faith that Jesus can do anything about this. Right? What's your this? Yeah, I trust Jesus, I follow Jesus, but when it comes to my relationship with fill in the blank, I struggle to trust you. I, yeah, I love Jesus, when it comes to this, this area of brokenness in my life, oh, I don't know if Jesus can do anything about this. Yeah, I, I love Jesus, I, I trust him, I have faith in him, but man, this area, of this circumstance, my, oh, I don't know if God could do anything there. I was thinking about the sermon and sort of is there a story that I could tell as an example? And the, the honest answer is there's a lot of different ones that I could tell, um, but a lot of them are actually deeply personal and kind of vulnerable and, and kind of live um, currently. And so um, I felt that God, I just was like, oh, I don't know if I want to go there, you know. And, but I felt the Lord said, well, let's go back to the beginning where I first started teaching you about this. So if you will, go with me back to college. Okay, so this is where I first learned about this. Um, I had come to faith in Jesus in college and sort of had a renewal of my faith, and I was all in and super excited to follow Jesus. That happened at the end of my freshman year. As I rolled into my sophomore year, I was just growing like a weed in my faith in Jesus, and I was seeing him answer prayers, and he was moving on campus and the lives of my friends and in my life, and I was experiencing healing, and he was opening up a, a, a areas of, of healing in my life that I didn't even know that I needed. It was really wonderful. And then I got invited to go on what we called a summer mission project towards the end of my sophomore year. And the idea is you get together with a team of students and you go to some foreign country and have this incredible experience of following Jesus in a different culture. And when I got invited to that, I said, that sounds amazing. I totally want to do that. And I've just felt my sort of desires and hopes and like, oh, this is going to be awesome, kind of rise, you know. And so I was like, yes, I want to do it. And then I found out you have to raise funds to be able to go. And then I was like, ooh, that sounds really hard and really scary. And I'm going to have to ask people for money. And I don't know if I want to do that, right? And so, um, 
But as I prayed about it, I'm like, no, this is what I want to do. And so I started doing that. And it wasn't just me. There was about 30 of us from our college, about five or six different teams, and we were all raising funds to go on this together. And we decided we were going to do this all together. So if, if someone raised more than me, that surplus, that would go to someone else who needed it, right? And so we were, we were the all going or none of us were going. And when I found that out, uh, my heart began to sink because growing up in my life, I had experienced a number of like really disappointing things where things that I was really looking forward to and getting excited about all of a sudden didn't materialize. And I and was d- deeply disappointed. And I hated that feeling of disappointment. And so I developed a way to kind of deal with that, which is don't get your hopes up. It's really hard to get disappointed if you don't hope for things, right? And that was kind of my way of dealing with it. But despite myself, I found myself getting excited and hoping to go on the summer mission trip. And I began to think, well, what happens if we don't raise enough funds and we, we can't go? And somewhere along the way, I'd convinced myself that if you get your hopes up too much, that's when you're going to get disappointed. That's almost going to result in it's not going to happen. And I was like, man, I'm, doing, I'm starting to get hopeful about this. Oh, it's not going to happen. And as we progressed along, the deadline for raising the funds got closer and closer and closer, and we were still short, and we were still short, and we were still short. And as we got closer to it, my fear of disappointment began to rise. I'm like, I knew it. I knew it. Like, I, I trust Jesus, but I don't think this is going to happen. So the cry of my heart as that deadline got closer was, I have faith in you, Jesus, but I lack faith to believe you for this. See, I was just like that father. Now, what I love about this story here in Mark is that this isn't just about the healing of an afflicted child. This is also about the healing of the father. See, Jesus' response when the child is brought to him, and, and when they bring the child forward, the child has a fit right in front of him. So Jesus can see what's going on. I mean, it's all right there in front of him. But he asks the father a question. I don't know if you caught that when we read the story. He asks the father a question. He says, how long has this been going on? Why ask that question? How is that relevant to the need of the child. I mean, it's clear what needs to happen. Jesus, we find, has the power to do it, and he's going to do it in just a minute. Why ask the father that question? How long has this been going on? Well, the father responds, since he was a child. It has often thrown him into a fire or into water, trying to kill him. By asking that question, it draws the rest of the father's story out. This has been going on a long time since he was very little, and it's been terrifying. He's almost died. He's almost been thrown into the fire. He's almost been thrown into the water. I mean, you sort of begin to hear the father's story in his heart of pain. And Jesus is doing that intentionally. He asks the question to draw out the father's pain and his suffering. And ultimately, what Jesus is wanting to expose is the father's wounded faith that place in his heart that he's shut off from God and say, I don't know if I can trust God to do this. And Jesus says, that's 
That's what I want to get at right here. That's what was happening for me as as a college student. As we got closer and closer to the deadline, we were still... Um, I don't remember the total amount we had to raise. I don't know, forty, fifty thousand dollars, something like that, for all these folks to go to all these places. We were still short about ten thousand dollars, and I just remember thinking, "It's not going to happen. We just we have a week to go." But um, some of our leaders said, "Well, let's start gathering every night, and let's pray for God's provision." And I'll be honest, my initial reaction to that was like, "What's the point?" It's too much. It's not going to happen. But, you know, I also cared about what people thought about me, and so I was like, all right, I'll go, you know, right? (laughs) So I remember this. We prayed every night at midnight. We're college students. We're stupid. Like, that just seemed like the the holy time to pray or something. I don't know. But we would gather every night at, at midnight to pray, right? And I would be in these prayer times, and I would be lifted up by the faith of those around me, and I would find myself praying that prayer, I have faith, Jesus. I want to have faith in you, but I lack faith. Help my lack of faith. But every night that we prayed, that battle going on my heart, a little more faith would trickle in. I began to hope again, Jesus, could you really do this? And after three nights, I got to a place was like, Jesus, I'm just going to, I am going to trust you for this. You are going to do this. I just believe it. And on the fourth night, I'll never forget, we gathered that night and we were about ready to pray. And our, our staff leader came in and said, I just got a phone call earlier today. And the other campus fellowship from another campus that we were connected to, they're, they're raising funds too, and they have a surplus and they want to give it to us. We now have all the funds we need. I just remember that feeling like, God, you're real. Like, yes, Jesus, you are faithful. I laugh about it now because I look back, and I'm like, oh, I think God was trying to like, you know, as he was going to prepare me for going into full-time ministry, would I have to rely on support being given? He's like, yeah, can you need to learn this now, right? You know, let's go after that disappointment thing in you, and let's heal it. See, that is the heart of Jesus. That's the heart that he has for the father. It's, I'm going to heal the son, but I care more about the child, just the child. I care about you. I care about your faith and your heart. Let's have a conversation. And he heals the father's faith. That's the heart of Jesus. His heart for the father, his heart for me. Ken, I want to heal you. This, you've got this thing about disappointment, and that's not who I am. Let me meet you in that place. That's his heart for me, and that's his heart for you. Whatever that this is in your life where you say, oh, I lack faith, God. This one's hard for me to let you in on. That's his heart for you. Let me close with this. There's a there's an addendum to the story. I don't know if you caught it. Where the disciples afterwards are like, Jesus, like, what happened? Like, how come we couldn't cast the spirit out? And Jesus said, um, throwing this kind of spirit out requires prayer. And there's a lot we could unpack there, but the question I want us to ask this morning is, where do we see prayer in the passage? The only person who prayed in this passage was the Father when he said, help my lack of faith. That was the prayer. You guys realize 
that that is one of the most powerful prayers we can pray. See, if we, if we can hold on to that prayer and have that in our back pocket, see, then nothing can keep us from experiencing the movement of God in our life because when we hit that wall of doubt and fear and unbelief and lack of faith, when we see it, we can go, oh yeah, this is when I'm supposed to pray this prayer. I have faith, help my lack of faith. And then God can move. Is there an area in your life right now where you need to pray that prayer? Let me just share one final word for, for Father since it's Father's Day. I've been thinking about this one a lot. Here you have a father who is struggling, but because he goes to Jesus and gets real with Jesus about what's going on in his life, his child is healed and blessed. Right? Isn't that what fathers want, right? All of us parents, we want our children to thrive and flourish. And we have some sense that our role in their lives should help with that. But if I'm honest, a lot of my fatherhood years, I have ha- I've struggled with insecurity of like, am I being the right kind of father? Am I being a good enough dad? Am I teaching my kids the right kinds of things? Am I helping them spiritually grow in the way that I sort of desire for that? For them, and I've struggled with that insecurity. I've looked around and I see other families, feels to me like are doing that way better than us, and you know, um, all the different things you can do. I mean, they're just going to church really regularly and they're memorizing scripture and they're doing Bible family readings or all that kind of, you know, there's all those things that you were aware of are like good things as parents to do. And I'm like, I don't know if we're doing that the right way or enough or whatever, you know, and I remember sharing that with a mentor of mine. I'm almost done here. And I said, I'm really struggling with this. Like, am I being a good enough dad or am I being the right kind of dad? And he said, you know, all that other stuff, he goes, it's good. But he goes, that's not what makes the difference. That's, it's, that is no guarantee. It can go sideways. We just can't control how our kids are going to turn out in so many ways. And he said this to me, I'll never forget it. He said, the best gift you can give to your children, no matter the age or stage, is to cultivate your own faith in Jesus. You chase hard after Jesus. You let Jesus in to all those places in your heart where you're struggling to do it. Go deep with Jesus, and that will permeate your house. That will set the culture of your family. And your kids, whether they recognize it or not, they will, that's the air they will breathe. And so I leave that to all of us dads this morning. Go hard after Jesus. Let Jesus in to those places in your heart where you're struggling to have faith. Pray that powerful prayer and give that gift to our kids. Amen? Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.